0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Everything Related. In this episode, I talk with one of my favorite human and a good friend of mine, Kamga, where we discuss love as accountability and choice. Creativity being a product of imagination and nothing to do with passion, we stretch out on masculinity, his take on feminism and how both play a role in our today's society. This was indeed refreshing as I always enjoy exchanging with Kamga. I'm glad he decided to share some of his insight, and i hope they serve you as well in your own life hello kamga how are you doing today i am
1: all right i'm alive and grateful i'm actually thinking of making some t-shirts with alive and grateful on it i've been considering this idea for a while I i just execute one of these days
0: i mean that's literally like your favorite i don't know phrase right now or it has
1: been for a while now i don't even yeah, think right now, like, so. i think i think it's my tagline now i'm alive mm-hmm. i mean Clearly, I'm not dead and I'm grateful because with everything that's happening in the world is like the one emotion that I'm trying to always just hold on. Like things go bad. I just heard a friend lost her aunt today Mm -hmm. and I'm just like 2020 is just, I don't know, a mess. So I'm just trying to be grateful. Like at least I'm still here
0: anyways you my friend are welcome to my podcast and what did you
1: eat i actually finished uh there was rice and bell peppers that queen made there was one last one left today. I finished with bananas so yeah i need to cook one of these days because she started ob when today first of mm-hmm. july i no time to do anything so I think I'll be i cooking rice and beans tomorrow, but I add I add bananas and uh, bell peppers and rice. Actually, it's bell peppers, that has rice in it, and then meat and stuff.
0: And <laughs> was yeah. the weather like? Because it's extremely hot here. In it's regionally.
1: hot in Pueblo. The thing about Pueblo is that when the winters are not that bad, but the summers are too hot, and they have flies. I, in fact, if anything, now I have confirmed that I am pro winter. Definitely, I don't I don't like summer at all, especially not summers here in Pueblo. Even are you serious?
0: I have a hard time seeing. Or imagining Colorado as a hot state because I came there it was I was literally <laughs> freezing. so You're in
1: Denver, Denver is cold, Pueblo is not as cold as Denver. So even the snow oh, really? yeah, the winters the winters here are not that bad, so you don't mm. you don't get the kind of things I get in Denver. But yeah, the heat here nah, not not good.
0: I always like to start up my podcast or my conversation with asking my guests what their childhood was like, so what was your childhood? like?
1: Before I even go to answer that question, first, I want to say I'm very grateful to be here on the podcast and to congratulate you for starting this podcast in the first place. I I know you've been thinking about this for a while, and Mm -hmm. to be a guest here means a lot to me. So thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you very Um, much.
1: You're welcome. And uh, as for my childhood, let me see. I actually don't remember much of my childhood. It's one of those things that I've always wondered, like, how can me, who claims to be this creative writing person, <laughs> it's like my memories of childhood after the ages of 10 I don't have anything between 10 and below i have like you know dabs and snaps of like oh yeah uh-huh. this thing happened this is thing happened but I don't really remember anything really like I remember stories but not my memories so even so from from one downwards I don't remember a lot like I don't I don't really know so but I know my parents were loving I know my mom taught me in uh, nursery school Mm-hmm. My mom was my own te- my teacher in nursery school, and my dad until around the year 2000, which is when I was 10 years old. My dad uh, used to work; he was working as a, in the private sector. He's an agri engineer, agri train. So he lost his job with the private sector around that time. So that's when I saw more of him. So before that, it was mostly with hard trips. Sometimes he would bring like food, but he was not at home as much. But my mom was at home; she was a teacher, nursery school teacher. She went to college a university and then mm-hmm. came back and continued so to stick to the subject of childhood i tend to just go in circles <laughs> <Child>. <laughs> i don't remember much really i know i mean i was, I was the first <laughs> it was i am the first born child
0: you forgot your me. you forgot your rule <laughs> you forgot your place
1: was i first or second i'm not sure <laughs> I was the first child and my brother I have a younger brother Steve and uh-uh. I know your your brother is Steve and then, yes <laughs> yeah, Raisa is the third and then uh, Leila is the last uh, last Coco and y- between my brother and I yeah
0: yeah you know the funny thing that I ask about this childhood question is uh, for me I have had a lot of my childhood um, traumas you know resurface right now in my adulthood and mm-hmm. mostly because I've been spending a lot of time with myself I don't think that I want to describe it as some sort of midlife crisis, identity crisis. It's a mixture of everything. But because of these, I felt like it was a pertinent question to put in my, um when I'm doing my, writing my, Actually, drive, like, right. and so uh, yeah, right. mostly because like a lot of uh, childhood plays out in our adulthood, like the way we were raised, we are usually almost a product of our, you know, environment, and I think that's why when we grow up, we say, okay, this worked for me, nah, this did not work for me, I'm cutting it out, so there's that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, when you say that, I and mean, then considering what we're talking about before the recording, you know, the mm-hmm. session you had with uh, Bifun today, it just got me thinking. I'm actually getting chills as I'm thinking about this right now, which is the fact that I I have some traumas that probably only Queen even knows in this whole world, and there are things that have happened to me that people will not even believe. Like, because I've, I've written so much and shared so much online that people people tend to think that they know you by reading your articles, which is weird because <laughs> you get to edit. I mean, I can write, I can edit, I can take out things I don't want. But exactly yeah there have been there's a memory for me that even up to this date i've never understood what it was i'm hoping that one day i'll get hypnotized or something and then remember it I, I don't know if hypnosis. it's works, a good thing
0: but- you're asking that because i was <laughs> almost i wanted to ask what your favorite memory was but now i don't know if it's actually a good, it's <laughs> going to be a good one or a bad one but I
1: this, just, one, <laughs> this one is a bad one this one is a one that i don't want anybody to hear but i one thing that I'm learning to do now a lot more is to own up and take responsibility most for things. And I feel mm-hmm. like there are stories that if you, if you hold onto the stories, you give them more power. Like, yes. Yeah. As you grow, as you get older, the less things you're scared of, the more likely you are to enjoy life. I think so for me, there's one particular memory that I cannot even, I can't remember detailly. I just know that I was in a room with a, a housemaid, but something was weird about it. I don't know what it was. Like, I, I mm. cannot tell you, okay, this happened, that happened. And it's one of those things that when I was doing psych in a, PCC, Public Community College, there's some kind of memories that sometimes aren't actually real memories. You can remember things that did not really happen. So it's one of those things that I don't know if it was a memory or it was just a figment of my imagination. It was a dream because sometimes things happen and then the, the human psyche builds them up. So, but this one particular one is very clear to me that something about it wasn't right. I don't know whether it was really happening and I cannot remember the details of the event, but it wasn't, it wasn't good. I've never even explored it. I've never talked about it anywhere. I've never really tried to understand what it is. But, you know, since you, we're talking about childhood memories, uh-huh. the, way, the way I grew up, and the difficulties I've had later on in life, you know, around my, i say from 17 upwards around school and career and all that, I can pretty much sum up to the fact that my parents sheltered us a lot more than most parents. Like mm. we did have an, we had an open family. We talked about things, but there was something about the fear of failure that... Mm has followed me throughout life in a way that now when i look back i'm like yeah the reason why i'm afraid of trying things and or the reason why i try things and sort of even end up failing intentionally is because i have this voice in my head telling me it's not going to work you should focus on one thing so i keep repeating these patterns of behaviors that are essentially like my mom and my dad telling me don't do this do this instead and now <laughs> i i have to be conscious about those things that are happening and try it's, it's like a work in progress so my favorite memory i mean let me just switch something. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's human happened when (laughs) my mother (laughs) and but seriously though, there are a bunch of things that happened when I was a child. When I say child, Mm -hmm. it's like like I can remember my mom not showing up early enough when I was doing my speech in high school. I can remember my dad beating me like like the first time, the only time I remember my dad ever his raising his hand on me. That's like the one time in my whole existence my dad has ever beaten me. I went out to go and play video. Man, you
0: guys really lived well. I was (laughs) (laughs) flogged.
1: I said my dad because my mom but no, I cannot count number of times my mom flogged me. Like I cannot; it's <laughs> it's impossible. I was. That's why when I look at my my siblings, I look at the last child. Now I'm like, he came when they were already tired.
0: I know. Because we that's that's all <laughs> what we were all saying during um, Bifune's, this, um, you know, Zoom meeting today, where <laughs> almost everybody who had like a younger one said, "Oh my God," <laughs> their yeah. parents were you know old, tired. I mean, you see how I joke a lot on my status with Lena being my mother's favorite kid because she's the She's the last, and she gets away with a lot of things, which I swear they would have whooped my ass.
2: Yeah,
1: see, I think, <laughs> now, the funny thing is, as I've grown older, I think, as i One thing I would say, which I think, I guess, most Cameroonians who have, you know, been able to get out of the clutches of their parents will understand is that you you buy your independence in an African family, in my opinion. Like, you buy your independence by making money enough money that nobody can tell you anything because a lot of parents my parents i don't know if i'm thinking if they were one of those kind of parents but if you had to ask them for something it's not as if they'll bribe you and tell you oh if you don't do this they'll not give you money it's more like you can't make choices because they're the ones paying for your school fees they're paying for your rent they're paying Uh for everything so you tend to almost unconsciously do what they're telling you to do they don't force you to do it, but you find yourself agreeing. A lot of the reasons why I restarted college two, three times is essentially because I found myself in a position where I felt like if I go against the grain, if I say what I really want, mm-hmm. then I'm like, all right, that's what you want, okay? Go and do it by yourself. Nobody's supporting you. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough in a way that was not like traumatic or you know terrible. Like sometimes uh-huh. we have these stories about ourselves, and we feel like, oh, because I heard maybe less story and it's more terrible than mine, I should not feel bad for my story. And I'm learning uh, to like,
0: yeah. there's
1: no, there's no small story. There's no that's small trauma. Exactly. Like, yeah, you need to figure out your own thing. But, yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. So when I write out my questions, I mostly try to stick to who the person is and how they see them. So. And you, especially, you describe yourself most, most of the time as a husband, an immigrant, and a writer. So a lot of my questions are going to be centered around these three words. And I wanted to talk about your passion for writing. I don't know if I'm using it in the right term because sometimes, I mean, using the word passion may not necessarily... The,
1: the word proclivity will be better. Like, I have a kind tilt towards writing as a form of expression. That is better mm-hmm. because a lot has been changing. And I feel like I was in this group, actually. Funny enough, Bifun was in the group. This what a uh, Skype group that we had a long time ago, like six years ago. Mm-hmm. And somebody just sent a random message. And it, it just happened that many people who were in the group were there. And they were responding. We had this chat for, like, you know, old time's sake. And, they, you know, somebody asked, like, how are you guys doing? What's going on? And I said, Well, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And somebody said, Yeah, since this is the day I know you, you figured out what you want to do. With your life. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like I mean, this constant search for what I want to do with my life, and I don't know if it's for my childhood or what or society or anything, but
0: I mean, both, I think like yeah. that's the basic way of navigating through life because we are all you know, you're a baby, and then you grow to a child and then a teenager and an adult. So there's all there's that constant search. Like each time you're in a new venture, like when you were in Cameroon you have a job. When you have a job, maybe you move into a relationship and then you figure out what you're in that relationship, what you're offering, and then you, you know,
2: move into.
1: Sometimes I think mm-hmm. I think as Cameroonians, I know your your podcast is mostly geared towards you know Cameroonians and how we see the world. Mm-hmm. Now that I've had a chance to live out of the country and really, you know, observe myself and go through difficulties in marriage and health mm-hmm. and just being an immigrant overall, I think Cameroon shelters individuals from the hard questions that they need to go through to in order to grow and become responsible members of the community. Mm-hmm. Like, and I say Cameroon, I mean like, you know, from the uni, from the family to the society to like, mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of people don't actually get to deal with the, the consequences of their responsibilities. Things sure. like corruption, bribery, uh, you know, rampant i don't know but you know come back to what you describe me as you know right a husband writer and i think it was you know immigrant immigrant there was a time when actually you pointed this out like hey it looks like you know you've you've carried this title to the point where mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's becoming your identity and to be completely honest at some point i got disgusted with the term immigrant if i got disgusted a particular title because it felt like i was in this box that i had put myself in and i was mm-hmm. trying to keep myself inside even though everything around me was clearly evolving, mm-hmm. and with time especially very recently you know doing the debate talking about toxic masculinity talking about uh, relationships and you know the, the difference between men and women and, and masculinity and femininity that there are things that i'm learning lectures that i'm watching people like jordan peterson people that are getting me to start thinking about my own views of myself as a man my views of myself as a, a male as a masculine mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. and
1: looking at my own character my characteristics like my behaviors in certain situations my my, my assertiveness or agreeableness or uh, you know like what do you do with anger? So mm-hmm. that title, husband, immigrant, and writer, that title I find it's it's inadequate. In fact, I find mm-hmm. that many titles are very inadequate because it looks like for me this is one one big difficulty that I've had is to be able to say, hey, what do you do? Like it's one of the most difficult questions that I've found myself to have to answer. Like, what do you do? And I ask, it really depends on who is asking the question. It's like you know who are you? it's what a very
0: American yeah. thing, like very um, American <laughs> culture, like, I mean, I've, I read, uh, what's this, 26 stories of immigrants, you know, reflected something, something, I've forgotten the, the title. The Good Immigrant. The Good Immigrant. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for reminding me. But uh, I remember this guy, there was a particular story from this guy who, it's a combination of Algerian, French and everything, where, mm. you know, the first question you are usually asked is, where are you from? And then what usually follows is what do you do? So it puts an <laughs> immense pressure, especially for, for those of us who are coming from Africa or let me say Cameroon, where we normally don't ask those questions. Like, why are you know. for
1: People ask those questions in Cameroon when they hear your your accent or your name i think you ask like you know if you say especially when they maybe they're from the same village as you are or the same mm-hmm. tribe like oh yeah do you speak this language or do you like that's like the thing like when you say come guy oh bami yeah then mm-hmm. they start talking to you if they can like which part of the you know the land or the west are you from. so i was uh the whole idea of being sheltered and you know parenting and mm-hmm. all going back to those stories about the way i grew up i look at society now especially with the role that the individual plays in society i feel like there's so many things that we overlook things mm-hmm. like friendships things like how each individual relationship shapes you to become either better or worse because people True. think that you, you stay in the same spot, you know, that you're a baby, you grow up, and you essentially just evolve into this adult that mm-hmm. your, child, your parents wanted. But the more I think about it, the older I get, the more I realize how important daily decisions are and how, how ultimately the individual is responsible for their lives. And it's, it's a very scary feeling to, to look at myself and realize, like, wow, if I mess things up, if I say something stupid, if I get somebody upset, mm-hmm. whatever I do, I'm responsible for it whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a it's chilling and also liberating because mm-hmm. right now for example you know going to the whole creativity aspect and writing. Yeah because I, I
0: wanted to ask you what what <laughs> is creativity? I mean like what's your definition of creativity and who do you think a creative is?
1: I think everybody is born creative and mm-hmm. family society whatever constructs is sort of forces that out of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever seen a child who is not creative, a child who is not coloring or dancing or painting or mm-hmm. doing something? I think creativity is just the product of imagination. And I've hardly, I know you'd be hard pressed to come across somebody who doesn't have an imagination. Mm-hmm. When, even when they say introvert and extrovert or, you know, somebody who is stuck in their ways, you have to have made their way so long that you get stuck in it because children don't even have ways. They watch their adults, they watch society. So creativity is just the ability to be able to connect ideas in a new way. And I think everybody has it. I mm-hmm. think everybody is born with it. But then for some reason, whether it's the industrial revolution that got people to focus on the you know, STEM because people need their healthcare and people need their industries to be made. Or it's just a society like Cameroon society where if you're a doctor, mm-hmm. you're seen as you know, elevated and higher stature in the hierarchy of everything. Mm-hmm. But if you are a photographer, it's not that photography is getting cool. Like how, no. <laughs> you know, ph- photographers have made themselves cool because they've been able to sell their stories better. But mm-hmm. if you look at a writer, like how many writers do we know who are from Cameroon who think writing is cool unless they've lived out of the country, like Imbolo or... Uh, um, Debussi who is here in the US or yeah. uh, this man who wrote Mount Pleasant. Uh yeah, like it, It's it's very rare to find it's usually almost eccentric individuals like people like Ngimbi's, who mm-hmm. are in the country and who are still able to oh, people like Mac, like Mac, people, exactly who, you know, extremists, <laughs> yes, who are who are able to be in a country and still find a way to create art and it's we could talk about this for years and the more (laughs) i think about it the more i understand like to be a typical cameroonian is to fail you cannot Mm. be a typical cameroonian the the, the highest level of a cameroonian is to to look at cameroonian and be like and just watch from a distance say wow this is cameroon but i have a different role to play
0: Mm. so how did you discover your writing and what role has it played in your life
1: I think writing, it sounds almost cliche, writing discovered me. <laughs> uh, the, my, my, the way I look at my own journey as a mm-hmm. writer, creative, like in the beginning, I mean, I, didn't, I don't have a lot of memories of when I was a child, but I remember a, a particular book, the two storybooks that I'm still looking for up to this day, and somebody's listening and they can find it, I'll be very grateful. There was this one legged soldier and a ballerina, and it was a storybook. There were two of them. So there was a one-legged soldier in on the barina and then there was a, the samurai and the dragon. And in a weird way, I was thinking about this analogy a couple of months ago and realized like wow, the one-legged soldier barina is a whole idea of relationships that I've writing about relationships for as long as I can. It's like that was my origin story. Like I saw this mm. story. Oh, this is so good. And then my whole life, you know, when I have a breakup or find somebody, I write and write and write. So mm-hmm. it's almost like this thread of me trying to be the one legged soldier in the barina. And then there's the samurai and the dragon, which is the whole journey, I would say that almost stems and forces my my evolution in self-improvement which is there's this dragon that you have to slay and you have your one sword and you're this hero on the journey like the hero's mm-hmm. journey this is like my arc so writing has been for me a way of thinking and i found that whenever i'm able to write clearly then something is bothering me because writing is the way that i process things is the way that i i actually get things out of my head onto a piece of paper and i can see like oh yeah so sometimes i write i start writing because i quote unquote inspired or have a problem or mm-hmm to say. and by the end by the time i'm done writing the article i'm like oh yeah this is what i was this is what i was thinking this is what i wanted to say this is what i wanted and a lot of times when i'm not able to write is because something in my personal life is not working and i just can't think clearly and it's usually very extremely frustrating so whether it's uh, my writing is just funny. so in
0: some sort of way writing is your um, identity have you ever thought of what your life will be like without
1: writing in recent days I've realized that it's not so much about writing in fact I'm thinking that I might not be the writer that I thought I was because I'm actually switching towards expression and expression Mm -hmm. is broad you have like what we're doing right now which is audio there are people who Mm -hmm. can tell amazing stories by just talking people like Queen Queen is an amazing storyteller she doesn't have to write any notes and (laughs) you have people who make videos people like who have inspired me like Peter McKinnon Cody Mm -hmm. Warner Casey Neistat people who tell stories visually that are appealing you have photographers like Chase Jarvis and other people who take pictures that convey a story. So I think as I evolve as a creator, I'm realizing that I might have been stuck in my way simply because it was the only tool that was available to me or the only tool that I thought was available. I realized that on video, I'm actually very comfortable. I'm much more capable of Expressing my ideas while talking. I, I'm even embracing my ability to articulate ideas mm. better. So writing might be, to me, what walking is to everybody. People can mm. walk. Everybody can walk. But I, you suddenly become, you know, a professional walker <laughs> because you can walk. So it's like one of those, everybody has a talent. Everybody has something that they're good at, mm-hmm. that they could be very great at.
0: Yeah. I mean, like when you're talking about expressing yourself and realizing that you can do more better in videos, I'm just realizing that the whole audio thing is not as difficult as I thought it was going to be. It's just yeah. like a natural transition. Whereas, you know, with um, video, because I started a YouTube channel, which I later abandoned, <laughs> but <laughs> I used to find myself stuck in the place where I will do lots and lots of video. And then I don't know if it's the idea of staring at my or you know just having that composure or probably wanting to say things I think but then it's, I'm saying I think it's things comparison. out of line
1: I think it's comparison as creative. you know I mean, you I, know what I yeah. realized
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you but you know what I realized today you know um, spending spending like, a lot of hours um, working on my trailer and putting it out there in some sort of way it gave me or it has given me that confidence to want to go back and shoot those videos <laughs> nice yeah so I feel like I don't I don't know, maybe it's just a thing right now. Maybe I'm just, you know, hyped and excited. You but- know,
1: I, I was watching a video the other day by a Cameroonian YouTuber that I love, uh, Akanji TV. Mm. And I, I she was expressing something about, you know, what you do after you graduate and I and I was like, well, yeah, these are some really interesting thoughts. But she starts talking about passion, which is, you know, you use the word passion again earlier here. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking about something that I heard from Scott Adams. I mean, anybody listening will notice that a lot of my mentors, heroes, people that I read are usually (laughs) either Americans or (laughs) typically non cameroonian people, which is probably why my thoughts and ideas don't sound like a typical Cameroonian. which is, I don't know, it's a good thing or a bad thing. But anyway, the idea of passion, which I think many people misunderstand, people think that you need to find your passion to be successful. You know, when you talk about the podcast and talk about... Mm -hmm. what you thought about video and all that. Passion is a very dangerous thing in this world where people need ideas that can be sustainable because this takes the example. If... You made this podcast and you weren't passionate about podcasting, but then you interviewed like Oprah, then you interviewed Obama and then you interviewed, I don't know, somebody else that was huge because they were like, oh yeah, we like this person's podcast. Don't you think that even if you're impassioned about podcasts, you become passionate at that point? Because people actually like to listen to your podcast. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm.
1: Passion is not something that I feel should drive. Passion, I think, should come from making things that are useful. And people, mm. I think passion has to be practical. Because many, like me who's always talk about finding your passion, finding your dream and everything. Mm-hmm. Everybody has something that they are good at. But we tend to, to reject things that we could be good at because we're looking at something that will give us, I don't know, this momentary joy and feeling of bliss.
0: Definitely. It's agreed. like we're looking
1: for, yeah. for our next hits as addicts. Mm-hmm. Instead Mm -hmm. of looking for healthy food and just, you know, stay alive. So writing for me has stopped me. Actually, I'm actively making the the process of it not to be a passion because I really want to look at it practically. Like what kind of value can I bring to the world Mm. that can make it sustainable? It's not about whether I like it or not. It's like Mm -hmm. if something works, it works, period.
0: Mm. So now how can you, how can one take their talents and make it into, you know, a body of art or into build a business out of it?
1: uh, I wish I wish I'd. I mean, I feel like the best person to answer this question is somebody who has done it. And I, I feel like I'm extremely underqualified, given that I've been writing for all these years and I'm still not able to make money out of it. I mean, I've I've been paid to work in the capacity that you know made use of my skills, like when I was at ER mm-hmm. or when I worked as a copywriter in uh, Azure Partners in Dwala. So there've been instances when I've been I've had monetary compensation for my for my abilities in in terms of creativity. And I think the big the big takeaway that I've had from this journey of trying to make money as a creative is that the skill of making money is not exclu- is not included in the skill of being creative. So if you are a creative, you are somebody who is talented as a writer, an artist, a musician, or whatever it is, a poet, you need to understand that being able to make these things doesn't mean that you'll make money out of it. That's the first mm-hmm. thing. Like, you, you have to accept you, because a certain t- level of entitlement that comes with thinking like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm talented, I'm creative, I should make money. Like, I should. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be able to make I'm money. I'm worth money. this. I'm worth something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, you need to be able to make a business out of it. And what is a business? A business is something that adds value. If Mm -hmm. your art actually touches people and is good enough, for example, Mm -hmm. we live in a world where anybody can start a podcast, start a YouTube channel, make Mm -hmm. anything. You can can self-publish a book. So yes, take that creative urge that you have take that thing that you want that you already have I mean this is the process I'm in right now so what I'm saying is really what I'm looking at and then build a business model out of it business is not sexy for most people especially for artists for creatives Mm -hmm. business is not fun you know drawing a business plan looking at audience selection writing copy building a marketing page graphic design all those things I know but if you're going to make a living out of your creative art you need to know that you have a lot of skills to acquire Mm -hmm. and the more skills you acquire the more likely you are to actually succeed there's a book that I recommend you read which is I mean when I say you I mean whoever is listening which is called uh, how to win big how to fail at everything and still win big by scott adams the creator of dilbert and one thing he says is each skill you add exponentially increases your odds of being successful for example Mm. you and i are predominantly writers i mean i'm not i'm not that great a writer but i'm not that bad either people have Mm -hmm. read my writing they like it so imagine for example i added a skill such as public speaking i'll be able to write and speak which makes me a pretty good you know i'm Mm -hmm. I'm sort of rising above the echelon so imagine i could write and speak and then do graphic design which means that i can you know make like pictures and images and put like text and still be able to talk about it Mm -hmm. now imagine i can do that and then do video so i guess ultimately what i'm trying to say is as a creative add as many skills as you can especially the skill of business if you're thinking of making money
0: mm. yeah and so what is your ultimate goal with writing like do you have one
1: i don't know i'm mm-hmm. trying to run away from goals ever since i came across the idea of goals of goals are goals are not sustainable find systems instead and i'm trying to build systems around a life a lifelong journey of adventure because i have realized very recently with you no know, talking with queen and mm-hmm. coming to the u.s and being stuck at home due to covid i realized yeah. how much i actually want to see the world it's like a weird thing like it's not that i want to go and see places and take pictures and write about them i just want to go to places and just be there it's just mm-hmm. this, this need that i have that I'm, i never knew that i had it and i don't know how because i've had an accident and then i'm scared of driving generally speaking but i want to be able to go just stand in the eiffel tower and just be like yeah this is paris i've seen it now what? And then go to the next thing, and then go to the next thing, And then go to the next thing. So we're writing, I'll tell my goal is to just be able to think clearly. Oh, I, I, was, I started writing a, a bucket list of things I want to do and publishing a book is one of them. So I really want to publish a book before that. I don't know what the book is going to be. I have an unfinished poetry collection in my in my computer i have a book on immigration that i'm writing i'm writing on medium almost regularly but writing is one of like walking it's like breathing i just want oh. to do it because i want to do it and i want to build a life that i can sustainably do it without having to get a job like a when i say job i mean quote like regular having to clock in somewhere and get paid so that i can pay my bills if my writing and my expression can pay my bills that's my, i've achieved my goal basically mm. i don't want to be a billionaire not yet anyway
0: <laughs> so you mentioned medium and i know that you write a lot on medium and how do you think the platform has helped you
1: i've been able to meet people who have influenced my life in both negative and positive ways and i think that's life right you never know who's going to shift in whatever direction Mm -hmm. medium i started writing on medium before the the partner program but i did not take advantage of it because i was first of all in cameroon Mm -hmm. and you're not able to connect to the partner program even in cameroon and then it was changing and evolving medium My story on Medium, the key highlight of my story on Medium is when Befun and I created a publication, uh, Selfish, on Medium. It was around 2015, 2016. And we're both sort of lost. And we'd never met each other we're all probably listening to the same podcast around the same period and we're, we're struggling to find out like, I just finished a graduate from GMC, mm-hmm. you know, and I was wondering what I wanted to do in my life because I don't want to canal do and it sucked and I was still struggling all these things and Selfish was our was our own way of documenting our lives and I think what we created there was what we, she and I call authentic blogging. We were writing our stories not for people to watch and admire us, but mostly because this is our story. Like, it's not that we didn't care. It's more of let's share what it feels like to go through the journey of self-discovery and, and evolve through it. Let's document this process of finding out what we want to do and go through that. And medium, without medium, without the ability to create a publication, without having to pay any money and do all that, I feel like a huge portion of my evolution and discovering my love for podcasts and interaction with people and creating such a strong friendship that has lasted to today with Befone. Mm-hmm. That was very important for me, and it's not I even talk about it. I remember it was. It, it, I don't think Medium influenced my writing as much as that friendship influenced my view on life and collaboration. Mm. And um, yeah, I met. I mean, people like Ayodeji Awosika who still writes on Medium. Uh, people like Chris Gage, and uh, there are a bunch of people that I read. but actually, I've stopped reading a lot more than I used to. Be, but Medium, Medium is nice. It was it a Medium
0: me, you met with Srini?
1: No, I actually listened to the podcast, Srini's podcast, uh, The Mistake of the Creative, when I was in Duala. And mm-hmm. I hated my internship at Canaldo. And every night I would walk from Canaldo to uh, Ron Point to take a taxi to Lockpom. And I saw—I mean, I intention had taxi money to pay, but I just walked because I was just pissed off every day and I wanted to just <laughs> chill out. And I listened <laughs> to this for like a month, and then one day I just got up and said, "You know what? I'm done with this whole. This is this is. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? I've ever done.
0: Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, like this is
1: like fuck this. I'm done. I'm I, I'm out. And I finished. Went to. I just went to the house. I wanted to talk to my aunt. My aunt did not listen to me. I was like, I need to tell you something. She's like, Oh, yeah, we'll talk about it later. I was like, This one doesn't even know what's going on in his life. I just carried my bags and went back to where I stayed in. Uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. I stayed in her house, and my parents were like, What is it? Go back to the I Go back and do the intention. I was like, Yeah, no, I, I'm done with this thing. I'm not going to do it. It was one of those moments. Like some key moments in my life, you know, breaking up with Queen, starting JMC, mm-hmm. going back home after medical emergency. It's like things that I just stand out where I just decided like I'm done. And whenever I've made a decision, I've always ended up evolving to a better me. It's like mm. whenever I've decided to go against what everybody said, I sort of succeeded. And I don't know if he's answered the question. I've gone around in circles again, but yeah.
0: (laughs) I think so, but um, let's talk about um, relationship and Mm -hmm. immigration. So what has your relationship with people been like in the past and even up to now? And what have some of those relationships brought to you and what have you learned from them? I know that's a a lot of questions in one question. I See, I... I'm I'm
1: learning to enjoy. Not even learn to I actually enjoy expressing ideas now because I want to find the truth. It's one of those goals that I never thought I had, but I'm so introspective. Even before moving to the US, before mm-hmm. discovering all these podcasts, I I think a lot about my thoughts. Mm. And someone like Mark, one time, Mark commented that I think too much about things, I and mean, it got my feelings hurt. I was like, why? And then now I realize actually it's a strength. It's like my own ability to go through the world. If I'm not able to comprehend things, I just flounder mm. And quit complaining about the fact that I take too long to come to conclusions. And sometimes it's true. I take too long to come. But then the thing I realize is if I'm not convinced by something, always find a way to make it fail. Like if mm. you tell me, hey, let's do this podcast. And I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do it. You try to push me to do it. At some point, I'll find a way to not do it. I'll just I'll magically successfully make it fail. I'm very good at that. So actually, what's was the question? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the question was, how has your relationship with people been like in the past, and even yes, now? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. To be, if, this person,
1: if the person who's listening is not laughing, then you have a problem. <laughs> but in the in the beginning, I would say in the beginning, I always people say that makes them beginning. <laughs> <laughs> people had. Um, I don't think I was very open to making friends. Mm when I think about it as a child I was very much by myself like I trusted people is there's one particular house girl that I, I heard like I, I, I see pictures of us but I heard that uh, when I was a child she was the only other person I wanted to hang out with anybody else came around I don't want to be with them Oh wow! yeah and then she apparently left me in the house maybe that's why I'm so worried about relationships. now I'm thinking about it it's like a good therapy session <laughs> she left me she left me alone in the house and left and never came back she carried oh, like wow. stuff and then just disappeared and it's one of those things that I don't know my parents always talk about it and I, I guess they're laughing because they are worried, but you know, African parents make every we just laugh out of everything. But anyway <laughs> It's I, I never I never trusted people is that I think even now I think I still have trust issues generally with like everybody. Mm. And so I would trust people to an extent. And once you burn me and I make up my mind about who you are, it never I just register it and I adjust accordingly. So I never put myself in a position where you burn me again. So oh. it is like I never get beaten twice. I get beaten only once. And once I do it, it's enough. So some sort
0: of um, defense yeah. mechanism.
1: Yeah. So oh. it's one of those things that And it's funny, I tend to trust people I don't, I tend to trust strangers more than I trust people that I know because people that I know have enough data. And so for me, each relationship is very individual. So I don't group people. I don't say like, you know, for example, our crew, you know, Howard, Mm -hmm. Mark, you, Mm -hmm. I don't say, I don't say the crew. I have an independent relationship with every single person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people think it's exhausting, but I find it actually very liberating for me. Like I I can imagine that for some people would be exhausting to be like, if you're talking to this person, you need to remember everything that you've talked about. Talking to this person, you, know, about, you know everything that happened mm-hmm. i actually find it very easy to have the track record of conversations temperaments personality traits all mm-hmm. those things come very easily to me so i don't mm-hmm. know if it's a if it's a, i mean let me actually do you have the same thing like do you do that i
0: Are mean curious, no? uh, for me uh when it comes to people and relationships, I think that I have that. I have almost the same thing as you have um, some sort of defense mechanism, but um, it's mostly out of fear where I don't really want people to really know who I am, or I'm just, you know, just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: because in, in Cameroon, I used to have a very close nature, like someone like Howard. The way Howard and I became friends, it was through Simo. Simon mm. was like, oh, you guys are writers. You guys should meet. And then I think yeah. we're both going, we're, we're about to attend a conference in uh, Mark had organized through Backwater, organized the Guthrie writing workshop. And that was the first time I met howard mm-hmm. simo connected us we traveled together and i met howard at first i was like you're paying for my transport you know that right
0: yeah i know you guys always <laughs> say <said> that story <laughs> i was like I, can you imagine come bullied me to pay his transport <laughs>
1: howard 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 is i don't know if he is or was but at the time i i just felt comfortable i think i have an instinct for people that i can be comfortable with mm. and oh yeah i think i pick up a lot of nonverbal cues that's something that has it has become much more expressive in my you know as i got married i'm moving to the u.s and all that mm-hmm. I, I don't rely very much on what people say more than what they do or what they don't do or what they don't say. So you can tell me hey, I'm your friend, you know, tell me anything you want. But if I actually don't have evidence, personal evidence that you actually are trustworthy, there's a very likelihood that you would never know what is going on in my life for you. Mm. And they are, I make this decision without you, like it could happen to you, and you never even know. You mm-hmm. never realize it. You never know that wow, this person has changed. And in in ways, it's worked for me. In other ways, it hasn't. Because I, when I think of moving to the US, there's one particular friend that I think about that we started this relationship. It was still a budding relationship. Was one of those, you know, we. It was a budding relationship that died because I moved and I didn't tell her that I was moving. And then I tried to. We tried to salvage it. And then it just. Eh. It just died in one way. That whenever I think about it, I'm like, wow. I don't know how else that could have worked out because I really would have hoped that we'll be friends. But clearly, we are not. And Mm -hmm. in the same vein, there is a friend who I actually met only when just around when I was moving. And today we actually talked, and she lost her aunt, and we've been building this very strong relationship over the years through WhatsApp, literally, and voice notes. She sends like the longest voice notes ever.
2: And
0: she's like, she's like, she sent me like, I, I, I mean, was, you uh, enjoy uh, listening <laughs> to people talk, so
1: <laughs> yeah. But I have a day job and it requires me to, be, <laughs> to work, so the think if I cannot listen to a concise thought completely, but anyway, mm-hmm. back to relationships. My, I mean, how do you think
0: we perceive and live relationship as Cameroonians and as humans? I don't know, male and female. I
1: would, I, would, I mean, to take those two, take as Cameroonians, I feel like a lot of Cameroonians. I think it's a human thing. We 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 have transactional relationships. There might not be monetary transactional mm-hmm. relationships, but it's one of those, like, if I'm going to trust you, I expect you to trust me. That's the way I see it. Like, mm-hmm. people expect good to be done on them. And they're, they're, when you do bad, at least you have to own up and apologize. And I mean, I why think, should... Yeah.
0: Uh, for me, it's like, when you say people expect you to do good to them, it's like, do you think that you deserve to you know receive that goodness in some sort of way that's how i i, I think, think i about
1: think about it. at the bottom line we all think we do even when most of the time not, we we don't mm-hmm. we all we all think i think we are all childish in that way where we want mm-hmm. We want only the good things. Nobody, nobody willingly goes out. I mean, was last I took a cold shower. Like, how many people do you know who willingly go and put themselves under any kind of pain? I think we we are pleasure seeking. I don't know if we're actually pleasure seeking or just pain, pain fleeing humans. Anyway, I'll still have to read a lot on that. <laughs> but relationships. When it comes, to, when you say relationships, do you mean friendships or like you know love? I mean romantic?
0: friendships, love, romantic relationships. I mean. You write a lot about your relationship and yeah. married, And what makes you write about that?
1: Because they're very important to me. Hmm. I never realized it until... So is there
0: some sort of your of value or belief? Like, do you believe that human relationships are, you know, important?
1: Yeah. And the more I research, the more I find out people that I agree with, the more I realize that actually I was on the right path. Because somebody that I'm listening to a lot recently is Jordan Peterson. And he has some very interesting ideas about relationships. For example, he says that, you know, the older you get, if you don't have somebody that you can care for, somebody that, you know, needs you, Mm-hmm. You live a very lonely life, and a lonely life is a dangerous life i mean that 's not what he says, but i 'm thinking about the fact that when you 're lonely, you tend to do crazy things like people who isolated not having to build mm-hmm. a community just mm-hmm. by themselves those are people that you should be worried about because they can they can just look at for example um, the Joker, the new joker movie that's like a typical example of what happens when somebody doesn 't have a community mm-hmm. like you you get to this place where you, you're ready to lose anything and somebody who's ready to lose anything is very dangerous and I'm thinking about the fact that for me I've had friendships have been extremely important to me in fact I think I hold my friends to a very high standard I, of trust yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> I definitely agree with you on that and yeah. today when we were talking about you know parenting on Zoom I it sort of dawned on me that you know a, a lot of the reasons why I behaved the way I used to behave was because you know I did not have uh, the sort of relationship that I wanted, so it was important for me to create that kind of atmosphere. And I mean, I I don't think that I really do have a lot of friends. I mean, I know I have a lot of people that love me, and I love them as well. But when we talk about you know friendships, like know real friendship, I hold my friends in really 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 high esteem so it's like if you do something to me it's going to hurt me because like okay this is calm girl like (laughs) like you are my friend i expect you because i feel like we have a duty towards each other you know like you have a duty towards your spouse and same um, vice versa and you know it's the same thing in relation is like your job your duty there is yeah
1: it's one of those things that because especially when i when i look at myself and i know i would be able to do what I expect you to do. Because it's one thing that I'm learning a lot especially with marriage where mm-hmm. people people come to marriage with their baggages and expectations and everything. And one thing that I'm learning more is if I'm going to hold my wife to a certain standard, let me hold myself to the same standard. And I feel mm-hmm. like the, the most unfairness you can do to me as an individual is to hold me to a standard I don't hold yourself. So if you're going to tell me this is the way to behave in a particular situation, I expect you to behave in that way or even better in that situation. So don't tell me this is how you should be. And then when the time comes for you to be the way you just told me to be, you're not. That's, that's the things that really... They get under my skin to a certain way. And then relationships, over time, I've learned to be able to try to separate people from... And we are all flawed. Let me just put this way. We're all flawed. We mm-hmm. all have you know, discrepancies and weaknesses. And we all have issues that we're dealing with. We all have, we all have weird childhoods that are affecting us as adults. Sometimes mm-hmm. things do would never know about. And the more I start you know, treating people with compassion and understanding, especially myself, like, like, for example, I used to talk about my whole book publishing situation. I'm like, oh, my God, I've not published a book up to this particular time. Like I'm 30 years old. I haven't published a book. What am I, what am I doing with my life? and i i've been trying very lately to start looking at myself with more love like when i when i miss a deadline or when i mm-hmm. don't do something I, said I was going to do i actually punish myself with more other people like there are times when i'll do something and by the time queen is telling me i already know so the more you tell me something that I, that is bad that i i was aware of the more likely i used to get on my bad side almost because...
0: like your your, your <laughs> hardest critic
1: Yes, I am. And it's one of those things that people, especially queen, never understand, like, okay, why do you write if you you know you're going to complain about the comments? I'm like, comments for me are the expression of whether my writing actually fell flat or had a reaction with somebody. And if I cannot get yes. that, it means that something is wrong with me. Like I always take it like I didn't write well. It's not that like nobody read. It's not that like Cameroonians don't like reading, or that what I'm writing about is it's like I should have known better. Mm-hmm. And that puts me in a place where I'm always thinking about how to improve. I think my whole drive towards self-improvement is because I, I have this strong almost unfailing belief that people are capable of improving and being better and sometimes it, it, it works great for me but when I hold other people to this standard it, yeah, it doesn't work well so I mean, how do
0: I'm you handle hateful comments like have you received some
1: you see like this one particular video that is on YouTube that has had the most negative <laughs> it actually has more on likes than likes and I love that video <laughs> if you can read my, my response it's like the only one time on my whole internet i mean there have been videos there have been comments on the i got featured once by a medium publication which is actually a pretty big deal and you know just so just nobody knows this yet but i'm actually working there's another piece that i am featuring that we're working on so we'll be publishing that soon as well Mm. and um somebody came and said there that the only reason I'm capable of talking about you know immigration in America is because I'm no longer in Cameroon like if I go back to Cameroon like why am I staying here if it's so bad if it's so terrible to be black in America what am I doing here (laughs) and other people responded and I came and responded as well but I think I am I would I would credit Gary Vaynerchuk to this to the whole idea that if somebody can actually take the time to leave a negative comment on your post or your article then you should treat them with compassion because they probably have issues Mm. Because if nobody who is having a good time, nobody who is having a great life, writes negative comments under people's articles, especially the kind of harsh comments that are negative. Like, somebody can tell you criticism. Like, I don't think this was a good argument. Oh, I don't agree with you. Yeah, I don't agree with you. But somebody telling you, like, some kind of evil insults or racist slurs or things like that is somebody who has a problem. And when you think about it from the perspective of, oh, that's, oh, man. You know, so now I actually give love. When somebody writes something bad, Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, thank you so much for your comment. I'm so grateful you came here to read today. Like, you took your time out of the day to write a comment, man. I really, really appreciate this. Much love. And, hmm. and that's it. So I'm trying to look at it from the perspective of negative comments are actually a good thing. It means, first of all, somebody, I got somebody to say something. That, you know, I, I got somebody to actually take the time and say, I hate you. That's, <laughs> that's really cool. Like, I actually have influence. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> so why did you move to the US? I moved to the US for love. That's like the simple shortest answer. I came here because I was
0: about to make the own oh, romantic thing, but then I just <laughs> remembered I have a large host cube. <laughs> <Like>, oh oh. <laughs> I
1: I so Queen and I had two and a half breakups and in 2017 2016, when I was just I think I was. I remember where I was standing at IA and she was talking about this project that she had done, a death and dying project. It was something she was working on for her. Was it med school? I think I can't remember the details. But we're talking, and I had this moment where I realized, like, wow, we because she and I broke up two and a half times, but mm-hmm. even during our breakups, we're still friends. We're still talking. We're still interacting. We're still checking on each other, and you know, caring for each other.
0: What was the um, time frame of the breakups like for both times?
1: Let me see. We did break up in 2000. Eight, mm-hmm. I think, just went, and then 2011, just before I got to JMC, because that's when I remember I was JMC that first year of JMC. So from 2008,
0: getting... you were single. To uh, wait, I mean, well, not that you were single, but you broke up with him from 2008. It's... And when did you guys get back together? I can't
1: remember. I think uh-huh. we got, maybe 2010, I'm not sure. The thing, Queen knows this timeline where she remembers everything, <laughs> which is sometimes great and sometimes not great, but <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly when. I just noticed like this particular year, this happened and this is how mm-hmm. I felt and this is what happened. But I know mm-hmm. that when I went to GMC, we're not yet together and then we got together towards the end. I know we got together during GMC and then just when I got my first results of GMC that first year, we broke up. Because mm-hmm. I, I know I was dating somebody else and I've never dated two people at the same time. So, why have I never dated two people at the same time? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Chinda. <laughs> you just have, oh, I have this girl in Limbe, I have this girl in Boya, I have this girl in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can't remember the deadlines, the timelines, really. I've mm-hmm. never really thought about it. I feel like, for me, the details of the story are way less important than the actual feelings one of those uh-huh. things i realized in my writing i had to talk about the details i'm talk about the feelings what was said what was happening yeah. <laughs> but yeah
0: so i'm just curious about your chain of thoughts from the period when you were moving um to when you got here
1: i was i was let me see i actually did not think we're going to make it like what part of me was trying to be very realistic i was working at Duel in Dwell at the time and i did not like my job because it was very rigid i don't think i like jobs of any kind i used to say these things and feel bad about it but i have just realized that i don't thrive in structural environments of any kind so so i don't i don't thrive in environments that um force me to be in a particular position like i have to mm-hmm talking at this time and do that and do these things. That's the same reason why I left Canal Day because I couldn't start my tech program that I wanted to start. I, I, I couldn't, in Azure Partners, I couldn't, even a lot of my, I was doing a lot more translation than what I was hoping to do. Mm. The pay was good and honestly, I, I know I'm aware of my privilege in many instances to even be able to quit a job. The people who want to work but never get jobs so mm-hmm. I'm very much aware of that but when I was leaving, I was thinking, well, if I'm not able to go to the US, I still can stay in Cameroon and do things here. I was, mm-hmm. At the time, I was actually working uh, with uh, Jord from IA to go back to IA mm-hmm. and host events on the weekend, like I was doing before I left. So, I I pretty much was thinking about both ways. Like, if it doesn't work out, I can still... I mean, the
0: Griot Nights, the... Yeah, all those things were the there. We had the Maito Maito Poetry, exactly all those things. And
1: I even worked with uh, uh, Faber Freak to do a poetry event, which she performed mm-hmm. at... Yeah, so... I performed that, yeah, performed yeah. at... there were things so... I never left Cameroon in the sense of America is going to be better than Cameroon. It's one of those like this is a great opportunity. It's an, I'm going to meet the person I love and it could be nice. Like
0: I mean for me honestly I had a lot of ah resentment and not resentment in it was it was almost like I was not open to the idea of change because i already had my five-year plan okay this is what i want my life to look like in the next five years and so me having to come here and mine was actually spontaneous i won the um, dv lottery which everybody feels like it's great you know that's the best and secure way but we do not talk about and I'm I'm in this phase where I think about the aftermath of things, the aftermath of a breakup, the aftermath of moving. Like what is the things that the behind the scenes? Let me put it that way, because people tend to see things, you know, just in the light. And I had to have a lot of conversation with myself where I asked myself that, okay, I'm going here as an adult, and I always say this that. I don't know what it means. Maybe somebody who came here as a teenager. I mean, Queen and I spoke about what it meant here coming here as a teenager. She came here, she moved to the U.S. when she was 16. And when you're coming here as an adult, I feel like there's almost some sort of pressure on you because there you are conscious of um, your environment and everything. And so every decision that you make has to be I don't know, carefully, I don't want to say carefully planned, but almost carefully planned because everything that you do can sort of have an effect in the next two to three years. And we are growing. We may not have as much time as we think. And I'm thinking about it in in the sense that I've had to, you know, lose a sibling who in number of times we don't consider it young 32 is quite young for you know somebody yeah, to pass away I, I think so and so it's like what is you going know, to happen if I die tomorrow yeah go ahead
1: I feel like this might be the this might be actually the most the most mm-hmm. honest part of this podcast for me because ever since I got here there have been things about you know my relationship with my parents relationship with friends and everything but the biggest I think most important relationship that I feel like has changed for me has been my relationship with my goals and my aspirations I want to, have to do with life mm there's been at least two key moments where I I was 100% sure that the only option I had was to go back to Cameroon, where I felt like it wasn't worth it. I moved here because I wanted to get married to my wife. Mm We're married and it's been an extremely rewarding experience in growth and love and friendship and relationship. Mm -hmm. And I've had moments where I thought about everything that I left to be here. And I thought this wasn't Worth it.
2: Mm. I,
1: I want to go back. I want to just go back to Cameron. And people will tell you that you're in America. You have PayPal. You have all these things. You have banks. <laughs> and I see it. Like right now, we're taking advantage of the internet. This is like really fast. I'm having mm-hmm. all these headphones and mm-hmm. mics and everything. But I've had moments where I'm like, the, all of this, if you give me all of this and have to live like this, it's not worth it for me as an individual. I don't know about other people who want opportunities and other people who want things like me. Uh, I don't want this and I want to go back to my father's house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean i i've said I've, I've said that before like i just want to pack my things and go back to camera and sleep in my yeah. father's house because when you come here i think that it's um it mostly comes from you know adapting to the environment. It's a very rushed system, if I can say so. So people are in a constant, you know, the it's
1: Canadians are not built for the US. I don't <laughs> a, are not built for the US. It's a America.
0: constant cycle where you wake up, you go to work, you come back, you wake up, you go to work, I come back, and then you tend to discover that you may not actually it's like you're a robot, you may not actually have anything else, or you may Find yourself five years, 10 years from now and you've not really done much because you're trying to sort of find about this. there are these bills to pay, there's these to do. You Taxes, get. IRS, <laughs> insurance, health bills. insurance, car insurance, uh, <laughs> loans, uh, it, that's
1: one reason why i quit I, I quit college at some point because I, I tried going there and i was like this is not going to be worth any loans that i'm going to take and i had to pay back the money that i took and ultimately being 30 year old i came here when i was 28 mm-hmm. i was still like oh late 20s i still have life ahead of me <laughs> and then now i'm 30 and it's one of those like the next 10 years i will be 40 40 is not like
0: <laughs> i don't know the I mean, look at we're the already money. half of the year so <laughs>
1: right, I'll be 31 in February next year. And, and it like, hits whoa. me, you
0: know, I think for me, when I turn 25, it, it, every year from then, it's like, oh, I'm four years away from 30, because it's, it's not even about the fear of being 30, it's like, that's another decade so how am i preparing myself for that decade so that's 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 my thought process when i tell when i tell people oh i'm four years away from 13 like oh no don't say like that you're making me feel oh i'm like no i mean i have to think i'm an adult my parents think i'm a baby but (laughs) i'm an adult and i have to think like an adult and act like one
1: independence in the african community my perspective is seized it's not given Parents don't tell you, all right, good, you're you're an adult now, go on ahead. No, you have to you have to be able to stand your ground. Sometimes standing and, your ground means like, you know, not doing what they're telling you to do. You don't have to exactly. become a rebel or a black sheep. It's mostly like, hey, I know you want me to study this particular thing, but this is what I want to study. It and, can
0: be and, polite, I used to you know? tell my ex-partner at the time that, you know, if you think that your dad is some um, it's some is going to comprehend uh, uh, my friend you're mistaken parents <laughs> uh, job is to worry I think that that's a monumentality. you cannot take that away from yeah. them. they just worry and worry and so you have to show them and I believe in a lot of action. When you do things and people see you, then they are able to say, Oh, Kamga is doing this and oh Leslie is doing this. And then if it's just all this talking, talking, we can, you know, talk from now to tomorrow. But if we are not actually reflecting these things, then I feel like it's a waste of time. So uh what are some I think
1: of the cuts across mm-hmm. for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it cuts across everything, actions and words, because even mm-hmm. relationships, friendships, marriages, you can say you love somebody, but if your actions don't match that love, then no, you're you're just lying. That's and, true. Yeah.
0: Um I wanted to ask you what are the challenges you faced, but then I'm saying I'm thinking of asking like what is the greatest challenge, but just just <laughs> do you.
1: <laughs> it's aligning my goals with my current status as a husband, and I don't say as an immigrant, mostly as a husband. Mm-hmm. Because Queen and I, when it comes to certain things, I discovered a spirit more recently. We are We are different, and we're also very similar in that we like to do things our own way. And when uh-huh. you get married, you have to play as a part of a team. Uh-huh. But then, as a part of a team, it means that, for example, take a, a, a typical soccer team. There's a goalkeeper, there's a, a striker. Uh, the goalkeeper will not get jealous if the striker scores because, like, well, your uh-huh. job is to, you know, stay over there. But now the thing is, how do you define those roles and roles? Like, me, I'm a creative. And right now, honestly, the only thing, I'm, the only reason why I'm working is because bills have to be paid. If not, I would spend my days making videos, writing articles. articles. <laughs> so I'm actively working towards never having to send a CV anywhere. And so the biggest challenge I've faced has been the same challenge I've faced with in camera, which is to find a way to make, to build a life around my interests and then just keep enjoying what I do. Like, I don't mind working hard on things that are, that are important to me. There are times that I'm editing a video. Editing a video is not sexy.
0: It's not It's
1: not fun. You don't exactly... No, I, like, know, oh I God, think that's maybe that's crazy. one of the reasons why I <laughs> dropped
0: my YouTube channel. It's like, oh, this is so much work.
1: Yeah, but I, I noticed that everything that is worthwhile requires a certain level of unk, of discomfort, of mm. effort. Without effort, there's no worthy like oh my god I did this like you have to be able to get out and say I did this thing so the challenges that I'm facing right now is really around letting go of my old self like learning how to drive getting to an accident and getting back into a car Mm -hmm. and making my own decisions and choosing my own path and Standing my ground when it comes to my relationships and my own goals as an individual, and saying what I want, saying how I want it, and being able to handle that, and learning more about myself. So it's really one of those things that I'm like, this would have happened whether I was in the U.S. or in Cameroon. But in the U.S., I don't feel I miss my family. I miss my parents. I miss my siblings. That's like I miss them. But part of my mind is like, but there's nothing I can do right now except, for example, if I can build the life that I want, make Mm -hmm. enough money, then I can travel whenever I want and see them. So it's as soon as I think I miss my parents, I'm like, okay, let me start working to make sure I. (laughs) afford to see them (laughs) so my brain automatically goes to like solution mode like if i want to see people in cameroon i should go to cameroon to go to cameroon i should afford a plane to afford a Mm -hmm. plane i should make money and to make money i should figure Mm -hmm. out my business so yeah it's just funny (laughs) so
0: would you want to move back to cameroon in the future
1: i want to have my legs in both countries if i can afford Mm to actually Mm -hmm. i want to be able to make i came here for one reason and i don't want to I'm not going to pretend that there are no advantages to being in the U.S. There are Mm -hmm. so many tools and things I'm using that I actually feel terribly lazy because I know people in Cameroon who, if given the tools that I have and the opportunities that I have, will excel. But then I don't want to feel bad for it because I've had to go through a lot of uh, accommodation and acclimatization and, you know, learning about America and just adjusting to life. Like, I cannot undermine how much progress I've made. So I'm not going to feel bad that I'm taking my time to learn things. But, yes, I want to be able to actually live in both countries, but probably mostly in Cameroon because... I think if you can build a sustainable business here and be able to travel, Life in Cameroon is fun. I want to eat chicken, man. I want to eat soya. I want to eat my <laughs> poisson brise. I want to go and party in the mask with the I Mac know and,
0: and a, JJ <laughs> Quest.
1: Yeah, I want to go and hang out with Alex, man. That things that are there's so many things about Cameroon. I mean, you, you know, all our night, the, hanging out, yeah.
0: my today, just having those conversations. And you know, there's some sort of liberty, you know, just being around home. So you just yeah. I mean, you support the feminist movement and consider yourself a What does it mean for a man to be a feminist?
1: That's interesting as a question because the more I read about anybody who knows the name Jordan uh, Jordan Peterson would have be like, wait, this man likes Peterson. By (laughs) now they'll be like, how can you be a feminist and be a Jordan Peterson fan? But anyway, (laughs) I think Queen actually asked me this question a couple of days ago. We talk about feminism, and my first initial reaction was I have started thinking a lot more about some of these words that we throw around Mm -hmm. that we use. We don't really know what they mean. So I would not say that I'm a feminist in the broader sense of the term which is the way i think many people see it, which is about forcing women to make other choices than the ones that they want because we think it's acceptable or normal for them to want what men want Mm. it's like basically so that is a very weird complex sentence to basically say that i believe in the equality of opportunities but i don't believe anybody should be forced to do something that they don't want to do simply because it's now acceptable to do it Mm. And I think we, the idea of feminism, the way I'm looking at it, the way I'm thinking about it, which is still, it's an ongoing process. Like it's one of those, like anybody who hears me talking about it and decides to judge me, is not even worth my time. I will not even I will not even entertain you because you're not, you're not even hearing the fact that I'm still going through the process of understanding it. So you're not you're not worth my attention. And mm. so yeah, I look at it, for example, I look at my sisters, I look at my mom, I look at the African woman and the Cameroonian woman, and I see a society that is, yes, underlyingly in a patriarchy forces women to take subservient roles and not want more. But I also see that the extremist view of feminism has dangers that many people don't even i don't know realize or accept is it almost like what
0: um emma was talking about in the debate when we're talking about in a acting.
1: way i agree with emma which is i did agree be...
0: with him you know <laughs> yeah. on certain things like i mean emma really had an interesting point and i not really thought about it there but i think what
1: it's worth thinking about it's yes. worth really you know thinking and and bouncing ideas and like, okay, i mean where do since I we're
0: talking yeah. about that like what is uh let's talk about masculinity what does it mean to be a man you know I'm not asking you <laughs> to describe uh, a man in the African cause it's like for you, what is, I was about to say manhood, but what, I need to take out this part, but what does it mean <laughs> to be a man?
1: <laughs> I, I, it's one of those, I, I asked Danny the same question a couple of days ago on the, the podcast and, mm-hmm he couldn't he, he was like this is a very difficult it's a complex situation because one of those terms that anybody could mean anything to me i am understanding because as a man i need to you know if i can even define what i am then <laughs> what am i <laughs> and it's you know, one of those things like you know we're always an ongoing conversation but i think that there's differences between when men and women that are that data has shown which is why i am enjoying jordan peterson trying to delve more into the idea there are differences between men and women that are showing that as a man there are certain things that you tend to do more than a woman and as mm-hmm. a woman, I tend to do more than a man. For example, on a scale of agreeableness, data, according to Jordan Peterson, shows that women are more agreeable than men. Like, essentially what he says is, you're more likely to find an agreeable woman than an, than an agreeable man. It doesn't mean that you will not find agreeable men. Like, he, he, he really explained this to very well to show about data. That guy is such a smart guy. that I, Sometimes I feel like he can tell you a lie with data and you believe him. But <laughs> the idea of masculine and feminine, man mm-hmm. and woman, there are properties that are more likely to be seen on one side than the other. Doesn't mean that the other doesn't have a side. So for me, I'm looking at the idea of man and woman as this ball of energy. Yin and yang, but where there's more in one than the other. Mm-hmm. And it could be in any. For example, you could have a woman who has more masculine traits than feminine traits. Mm-hmm. You could have a man who has more feminine traits than, women, than masculine traits. We could fit both. You can. But now the issue is... When the term of, it's like the term feminism and manliness or that, there are extremes to any of these terms that are very dangerous. For example, if somebody, men tend to be more aggressive than women. Doesn't mean that they're not mm-hmm. aggressive. But now, taking to the extreme, the 1% of men who are extremely aggressive now tend to be seen as the poster children of being a man. Now, you have people who are against that and people who are supporting it and that's what the uh-huh. problem is i think that's where the whole idea of tosc- uh, toxic masculinity comes from. Uh-huh. because you are people are on the extreme the one percent who are extremely masculine ex- and when i say extremely masculine i mean like that the, the proper traits that is are it what
0: what um is usually termed as um being alpha female or alpha male things like
1: that for example alpha oh. i guess it comes from the whole tribe and animal kingdom where there's uh-huh. like one leadership person who Essentially, everybody is either afraid uh-huh. of or leads, and I'm not very much documented on the subject, so I can't talk with authority. But the alpha male is one who is more manly in terms of it. like you're muscular, you have abs, you speak with confidence, you're assertive. So you have all these positive traits that people are trying to copy or emulate, but. Then we forget the traits that are actually necessary. For example, one trait that I'm trying to, to still understand how to explain in terms of being a woman is the idea of nurturing. Mm-hmm. And people look at nurturing as a negative, like it's soft. But then uh-huh. you think about this. This is something that Jonah Peterson says I'm trying to understand. Like, do you, does anybody, I mean, we'll think about this. How hard is it to actually be a housewife? People know and appreciate. And until you've been a housewife, you can actually not understand how difficult it is. But imagine you had like, you're, you're overseeing six. Uh, employees mm-hmm. who shot on themselves didn't speak your language and require <laughs> you to feed them, else they would die. <laughs> but then we, we look at it and we say, No, I need
0: no. to take that out of my imagination. <laughs> <That's a> bad- <laughs>
1: <laughs> because it's, I'm, I'm talking about this as a man. I'm, I'm learning not to actually be comfortable with the discomfort of the feeling that I think that there's a certain role that women are better placed to play. to play Because this is the conversation that gets people to say you're sexist and misogynist because mm-hmm. nobody actually wants to talk about these things without applying emotions to it. Actually look at the logic at the, and like, okay, let's look at what what does this actually mean? We, in which world does actually caring for somebody become a bad and negative thing that people should not be encouraging? Mm. And why should men not be more caring? Like, it seems we we say no, only the woman can do this to take care of the family. No, there is a very high chance that somebody who is more, who tends, someone, anyone who tends to be more nurturing should take care of the family, right? Mm It has to be the woman. However, studies and data shows that you are more likely to find a woman who is able to do this thing. But Mm. people actually want to have that conversation to actually talk about, okay, if a woman chooses to do this thing, should we actually tell her, no, don't do it. Go to school, go Mm -hmm. to STEM, we need more (laughs) women doing this thing like i don't i don't know this i mean you've
0: you've answered almost uh, (laughs) you've answered the next question i actually would like to find a balance between modern day masculinity feminism and culture uh Mm. without culture being erased and the next thing i want to talk about because we're almost running out of time is that you and i talk a lot about cameroon what do you think it means to be cameroonian (sighs)
1: that is a that is a very difficult question i think one one thing that i've heard many many times over is that there's no aspect of cultural or national identity when it comes to cameroon and unfortunately i might have to agree i feel like there's nothing that actually stands out and say that is cameroonian
0: why i
1: don't know if it's because we have 230 plus independent (laughs) cultural aspects the whole english and french i don't know if it's the colonial history that left us without any identity of any kind i don't know if it's a government that forces people to look for super methods to achieve success of any kind i don't know if it's the 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 people who stay in leadership for decades without giving young people the opportunity to try new ideas i don't know what it is but the system is broken the government is broken the culture is broken to the point where survival is the only achievable so i think Cameroonians survive if there's anything that i've noticed about Cameroonians, that Cameroonians who find a way to survive anywhere you put them in the world i've hardly seen a Cameroonian who cannot survive yeah there are certain bad traits that you know camerunians carry like i don't even know I would just be generalizing it. It doesn't mean that all mm-hmm. Cameroonians have it. It's more like mm-hmm. many people tend to be gossipy. They tend to, to want to find the easy way out. They tend to, you know, be traitors. They tend to talk about everything except their own problems. But you Co-com also find yeah experience compares you also find cameroonians who are successful in their lives in different places cameroonians who mm-hmm. take care of their business handle their families are very diligent very successful mm-hmm. i mean boo Windim, for example who is like yes. the first the first cameroonian uh, female aerospace aerospace engineer writers like imbolon who mm-hmm. a lot of these cameroonians that are successful tend to be out of the country like what does that say about cameroon if, mm-hmm. if most people who win have to leave and come back even people like roland for who mm-hmm. are doing you know changes in agriculture even my dad had to go to israel but he didn't stay there for long but it seems it's hard to find a Cameroonian who stays in Cameroon and is successful and actually you know worth emulating. I don't know if it's a curse but, So
0: what do you think yeah. our generation um can do or maybe they are already doing in a broad spectrum that you know will make Cameroon better.
1: I think the, my answer would be would tie to like any any generation. I think we need to take a huge we need to really th- think about individual responsibility a lot more. Mm. Yeah and the consequence of our actions. On that. Yes. Yeah, because I know many people are doing a great job trying to document the country, people mm-hmm. who are trying their best on Facebook and businesses and all that. My siblings, my sister is, is running her own makeup business. And today I was just talking with her about how proud I was about what she's doing. And it's hard to thrive in Cameroon. I think we need to give Cameroonians credit for, for being able to make a living out of that system. It's one thing that when people talk about Cameroon negatively, I always have this. I feel, I feel bad, first of all, because I'm a Cameroonian. Mm -hmm. secondly because people have no idea how difficult it is to be in cameroon and survive like i need to to say the second time people have no idea how hard it is the the government the structure the culture the families and and system for anybody who is creative or who is inclined to want to do things to survive so when people blame cameroon's government and talk about corruption and everything i always feel like they forget those who in spite of all of this still find a way to have hope and keep pushing Mm. And I, I hope people can think about that at the Cameroonian level, like the whole survival idea, the, the resilience of Cameroonians cannot be underestimated. And I think our generation is doing a great job to show that in various levels, the people who are thriving entrepreneurs, creatives, media people who, and I think the more we collaborate, the better we can successfully change the world and change cameroon to start with i think that collaboration is very necessary to actually work with people that we may not see on the same page as but have the same mutual goal i think we need to do more collaborations of any not just youtube collabs Wait, talk about I mean,
0: collaboration do you talk about collaboration in the sense of like more anglophones and francophones, or you know like just i don't
1: even care about anglophones and i mean mm-hmm. like individuals for example mm-hmm. this podcast right now is a collaboration that, yeah yeah like there's my friend Brian who runs uh, Top of Spaces and what I'm doing very actively now is if he needs guests I try to find people that will work for his podcast and recommend them to him so Mm -hmm. to be actively involved in having in other people's success especially other Cameroonians who are working on things like to go out of your way to help somebody to succeed I think that's something that we need to learn more especially our generation because we're more open to ideas Mm -hmm. so if somebody needs help find a way to help them yeah you might think of you know find a way to help them without hoping that they'll help you back for me it's like a personal mission if i find somebody who is who i want to work with i would do mm-hmm. everything to actually give them something that they need mm. just because i think we need more of that
0: okay so um how do you define love peeps oh by the way i call kanga peeps i'm <laughs> that this is not a personal conversation
1: i think love is accountability Mm. love is actions love is responsibility love is the idea of love people i think some people are in love with the idea of love more than actually what love means because love is very difficult
0: thank you for that
1: (laughs) people fall they fall in love fall out of love love is Uh a choice it's something Uh that i think i've written about i said about Mm -hmm. you get up every day and you choose to love somebody and yeah yeah and when i think with long-term relationships love is not enough love is great to keep things going but you need to build a bond that is stronger than love. He said, for God to so love the world that he gave his only son. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't think, I don't think he was loving the cross and dying and pain. It wasn't <laughs> love that kept him on that cross. <laughs> no it was the mission it was the goal it was the choice like i'm choosing to kill myself so that you can live and have eternal life so (laughs) whether you want to love me or not that's a problem but i I, yeah at the individual level what does
0: love mean to
1: you to me that love is all those things it's not just one thing. it's multi-dimensional because i love my sister and i love my wife do Mm -hmm. i love them the same way No. no but I have accountability, I have responsibility, I have a role to play, I have choices to make. So I think it's, it, it, it has many faces, and it's something that we need to evolve and grow into. What, what you loved a few years ago is not what you love. Now, who you love too differs and people change. You can marry somebody and they become somebody else and you need to learn how to love them as who they are right now. Mm. So I think we need to keep that in mind about the flexibility that we need to love fully. It's many facets. Sometimes you would love somebody who has things that you hate and you start discovering different dimensions like, wow. I can love you, lesti but I can hate mm-hmm. the fact that you do this particular thing and it's completely fine.
0: And what is faith to you? Faith. Mm-hmm. Faith
1: is the belief that you are too small to have what you think that you want to have. Hmm. <laughs> that there is more than just your puny existence. That there is more than just you and your ideas and your thoughts and that I will sit here and talk about all these things and think that I'm intelligent. No, I'm not. (laughs) There are people who have given this knowledge and this knowledge came from other places and I need to Mm -hmm. appreciate that. So faith is appreciating that. Faith is humility. Mm. I think faith is knowing that whatever you think you've achieved, you didn't do it alone. Someone, something, some power, somewhere, bestowed upon you and you have to be eternally grateful for that
0: yeah I, I used to tell a friend of mine that you know there is always probably be going to be someone you know who is better at what you're doing but when you recognize that you are in a position of you know it still boils into the whole privilege thing and then you humble yourself you i think you're able to do better but um, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself
1: that i want freedom at all costs mm. and you mean when since i moved or what
0: i mean just you know We evolve every day. And then as we go, we realize that, okay, this is what I've really learned about myself. For me, it's been resilience. I've learned that, you know, I keep pushing for, not because, you know, I'm not addressing those things, but it's part of my being and, you know, sharing and giving. I have denied that for a very long time, but I think I'm beginning to accept that this is who I am. And so I rather take it in humility and um, shared with others than just, you know, deny it yeah freedom
1: Uh, freedom for me has been one of those things I've come like mental constraints physical constraints financial constraints all those things give me anxiety and put me in very frustrated and angsty position and I realized that my goal in life is to be able to do what I want when I want how I want it I mean to the the best of my abilities, and so far as it doesn't impede somebody else's freedom I really want to be able to get up and say I don't want this job and I can stop it I mean, there's a responsibility in that too, because if you take on a project, you shouldn't get up in the middle of the project and say, I don't want it because you don't like it anymore. <laughs> so it's that ability to know like I'm responsible for my family. I'm responsible for certain things. So I want to be able to get to a position where my responsibility allows me to have the freedom to do what I want. So if I, I can still take care of my family while doing what I want, it's really one of those goals that I've learned about me that I don't want to be in a position where I'm forced to do something I don't like simply because I need to pay bills.
0: Mm, okay anyway peeps we've come to the end of this podcast thank you very much for sharing all of this with me and it's been a
1: pleasure having you here. i'm very happy that we're able to do this it's um it's been a long time coming and Mm -hmm. whenever you want me on the podcast i'll be back here oh definitely yeah i'm glad i'm glad you started and i really appreciate being here so thank you
0: okay thank you bye bye Thank you very much as we have come to the end of this episode. Until next time, I'm your host, Leslie Mia.